Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lynn, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare are ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news, meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the changing patient expectations. Today's episode is brought to you by HITMIC. Our healthcare and IT marketing community is getting back together again at our first in-person event post-COVID, which will be happening May 9th to 11th in Foxborough, just outside of Boston. Learn more at healthitmarketingconference.com. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore hung plus check out our 16 years of health it blog content at healthcareittoday.com are your expectations changing colin (laughs) i i have very low expectations because i'm in the canadian healthcare system right so (laughs) my bar is pretty low (laughs) oh that's interesting i mean my my problem with this is that i don't want healthcare. So I don't know, do I have expectations of healthcare? My, my expectation is to use it as little as possible. So I don't know, that's tough. Yeah, it should be a fun discussion today. Uh, patient expectations definitely have been changing over the last few years. And I mean, I think for sure, you know, a lot of what we have in our own daily lives are now expectations that we want to have in healthcare, right? I don't think mm. like, overall my statement would be, I think finally everyone is realizing healthcare shouldn't be the exception, right? It, you know, I think we've given healthcare a pass because it was like, oh, well, you know, that's where I don't use it that much or, you know, they're a bit behind, that's okay. Now I think they're not, we're not getting a free pass anymore in healthcare. That's funny. That's a much nicer way to explain it. I was, I would have just said, we're all a bunch of Karens that want to complain about stuff, but <laughs> I think your description is actually better. <laughs> so um, what about, what about you, John? What do you, what do you think in terms of, um, you know, do you like, do you think patients today expect telehealth, for example, like, has that become like a standard of, of operate way of operating? When I look at it, and I've seen a few studies that are have looked into this, I can't remember the exact stats from them, but the overall tone was this. They enjoyed telehealth. Some people loved it. <laughs> right. But most have said, no, I think I'd rather go back into the office rather than telehealth. And so someone had pointed out really aptly that telehealth suffers from a, a dynamic called small numbers. <laughs> and telehealth was so small that, you know, even with the dramatic decrease in telehealth that's happened, it had like a thousand times increase. But that, you know, like if you look at it from an impact perspective, how many people are really using telehealth now that, you know, in-person is an option again? And the answer is it's much smaller than I think we thought and the impact that it's had. So some may expect that and we'll see some fallout and it will evolve over time. I think it will certainly increase, especially with the direct-to-consumer telehealth, like the rose of the world and things like that. But I think for major health conditions, I don't think they expect it. I think um, it depends on the context of the patient. What, what I mean by that is I think for people who have chronic conditions, people who you know need to see multiple specialists, I don't think they expect 
a lot of telehealth because I think they want to see these people. They and, and they probably need to just given all, all the things that they need to have done in an exam or the tests they need to do. But I think in certain specialties like mental health, behavior health, I think the expectation is that there is a telehealth option, right? In fact, it's better mm. that whole experience there. And for the most part, I think providers are giving that to them. Uh, I also think in primary care, again, depending if you have a younger or you, maybe you're in a new area, I think their expectation for, for busy parents, uh, busy parents with kids, I think there is an expectation that you have a telehealth option for the small things that I just don't want to come in for, right? Um, you know, if it's something, something majorly wrong or I, you know, I, I want to come in, but I think there's some comfort knowing that, oh, I'm with a doc or a, a practice that, that offers telehealth. I think the big challenge is the idea that we think telehealth can solve the problem that we have. And so, I, you know, I think about it even in my mind, I actually have free telehealth through Teladoc from my plan. In fact, they even marketed it to me. They recently did a survey. They, they were, it was fascinating to see what questions they asked. They were like, would you do a wellness visit if you were offered $25? <laughs> it, it was interesting, right? And you're like, hmm, maybe I would do telehealth for that. But, you know, it was interesting. Like, why haven't I exploited <laughs> this free telehealth service that I could use at any time? And a part of me is a little bit mindset. Like, I'm just so naturally, I got to go to the doctor, I got to go to the ED, I got to go to the quick care, you know? And so right. like, it's a change of mindset. Like, oh, that's right. I have free telehealth. But then I started like, well, why is this more than that? Right. It's, oh, I got to sign up for it. Oh, what's the sign up process look like? How do I schedule it? Obviously the tech's not a huge deal for me, uh, but there is some like unknown about like, oh, what am I getting into? Whereas I got an appointment, I show up that's easier in some ways. And then I, you know, I think the other piece that I kind of mentioned was like, will they be able to address my issue or am I just going to do a telehealth visit and then be angry? Cause they say, come on in for an appointment. Like that was like the worst case scenario for me is you didn't just waste my time one time, but you wasted it twice. And so like, there's almost this fear that if I do a telehealth visit, it's going to just be duplicate rather than actually solve the problem. I think that that could be true. Um, I, I would hope that given the year plus now of experience that we're all having with telehealth, that we're starting to get better at kind of triaging up front, whether or not this person can be helped by a telehealth or whether it's just going to result in a five minute conversation and then have them come in. But, but, you know, I think we also have to remember that, you know, there's, there is multiple different patient populations that can be helped with telehealth, right? Those that mm -hmm. work, and can only come in after hours, uh, you know, and when maybe that's not practical, right? Like, mm -hmm. so telehealth is their only option. And there it's probably welcomed, right? To, to have a conversation with a doctor first to kind of figure out, hey, do I really need to come in? Or is this something that I can just, you know, you write me a script, I can go to the local CVS to have done, or if it's just a few data points that you need to really determine, I think it can be very helpful, right? And, and reassuring. So, I, you know, do, we, do patients expect telehealth? I liken it almost to like, um, oh, this is a bad example, but like whenever I go to a hotel, I want to be at a hotel that has a gym, not mm. because I want to use the gym but because, <laughs> <laughs> and most likely I won't, but uh -huh. it's more that it's more like, oh, like they thought enough about their patrons that they have a gym right? and, and that means their hotel must be of a certain size and a certain quality, right. To have a gym in it. 
So I wonder if that might become a thing. Like, mm. yes, I do think there's a lot of patients that use it, but I think it might be something where, oh, you don't even have telehealth. Like how modern are you? Yeah. Right? Or, or how antiquated question. are you? So I wonder if it may turn more into that. That's interesting. I see. I don't care if they have a gym or not, but I, I actually prefer when they have chocolate chip cookies, you know? So <laughs> if they have that, then I feel like, Oh, they really care about me. Right. So it's, it's interesting that no, but I mean, with employers, it's interesting because they should expect telehealth because to your point, if a busy worker, if you go into the office at least two hours, maybe more, depending on if you have to travel to go in for an appointment, how long do you need to, for a telehealth visit? Maybe right. a half hour. And so, you know, employers should be the ones expecting telehealth in order to keep their employees at work so they don't have to lose them in that time. So that's interesting. So let's, let's move on from telehealth into a topic that uh, near and dear to my heart, just because uh, again, it was an area that I worked in. Uh, do patients now expect self-scheduling of appointments? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting to think about, right? Like what a shift of mindset for us and, and even for the practices to be able to say, yeah, I can allow this. I mean, that, that's a huge change because even five years ago, it wasn't very common, right? There were a few that were trying to embrace it, a few, you know, trying to experiment with it. But now, you know, I think COVID, this is one of the benefits of COVID. It said, hey, you know, I don't want you calling. My staff's not here, whatever it might be. I think it's opened it up. And I think I don't know a single person who wants to call to schedule an appointment when they could schedule online. I literally had the opportunity to do this with tickets for an event I wanted to go to. And I just wanted nothing to do with the phone to do it. I actually emailed the people back and said, thanks for giving me the phone number. Can you give me a link? (laughs) So I guess maybe I'm the biased other end and maybe there's some older people that feel differently. And so, you know, that's fair. It's reasonable, but yeah, I think people are starting to expect this. Yeah. I think for, for, I'll call it regular um, care. Uh, if you're doing something preventative, totally, it makes sense to be able to do something online. And I think even physicians and clinicians who were resistant to it have realized and heard enough stories now that there isn't this floodgate that opens. Yeah, There isn't this floodgate of people just randomly booking appointments and not showing up, right? Because there are fees that are associated with you not showing up. And so I think for the most part, that fear, irrational fear of like, oh my gosh, I can't open my schedule because people will just go nuts has not manifested, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when they went online during COVID, because that was the only way, because they didn't want to be flooded with phone calls or they couldn't reroute their office line to home lines, right? Kind of right. thing. So I think that's been a definite benefit. Uh, and certainly, personally speaking, it's, it's a huge win not having to talk to someone and figure out, oh, like Friday at three 30 is open. And then me looking <laughs> on my calendar, I can just do it all online. Right. Yeah. You're like, just tell me all the time so I can figure it out. I, 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 it's been so long since I've done that. I forgot how annoying that was. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's a little more interesting though, is that I do think that there is a subsection of patients where this doesn't work that well. In fact, it's probably hmm. worse. And that is people with complex appointments. So these are people that may be going through a cancer journey and who have to have three or four or five appointments strung together. I've heard some anecdotal stories where now with the push to online and self-serve, they've actually gone too far the other way where these patients are actually finding it tough because they're going, well, let's say I got a one appointment, one o'clock here, 
I got, I got, can I hold that? And then I got to go to like the next department at two um, and, and like trying to do that on your own is not easy. Yeah. And I, and I don't think yet there are too many applications that are able to handle that kind of contiguous cross departmental scheduling, right? I still think that one you have to call into a call center uh, and, and get someone to kind of coordinate that level for you. But that's, you know, that's a small, hopefully a small slice of the population. The majority, I think, I think we're all expecting online appointment booking. Yeah, the, there is some complexity when you have back-to-back appointments that are interchangeably or at least tied, connected to each other. That's interesting. But I've heard actually the opposite from many chronic patients. They're like, I've done this for the last 10 years. I know <laughs> how long I need. I know how, you know better than the doctor in some cases. They're like, don't mess with me. Let me book it and do it. So I've heard the other side of chronic patients who I would have thought maybe you wouldn't, you know, they'd want the personalization. They're like, no, I know what's needed and you should trust me i've been doing this for a decade right you know so i think that's interesting but i think the other piece i've seen is it depends on the specialty Mm. so there's certain specialties where it's like Ooh, there is a lot of coordination and understanding like what kind of visit is this and maybe the patient doesn't know you know especially orthopedics where they're not sure what the pre-visit is and how long is the pre-visit and does it require an x-ray which needs more time and it you know all, all these other complexities so i think there's certain specialties where it maybe doesn't make nearly as much sense either right right Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin Hung. We're discussing the changing patient expectations. And as you heard John mention at the top of the show, we're excited to get together in person with the healthcare and IT marketing community, also known as HITMIC. It's happening May 9th to 11th in Foxborough at the Meditech Corporate Center. Head on over to healthcareitmarketingconference.com for details. We also announced the opening of the 2022 Medigy HITMIC Awards. There are 50 awards across 20 categories available, and their awards are for providers, health IT companies, associations, nonprofits, and even agencies. Go to hitmic.com and click on awards in the menu for details. So John, uh, this one's interesting. I wanted to ask you this. Uh, Do patients expect proactive communications from healthcare organizations, or do they not like that? Yeah, I think this depends on the type of communication. And and for me, it goes back to the question of personalized versus mass communication. So I think the majority of patients that I see don't want the mass communication. There's a few exceptions. I mean, during COVID, that made sense to do some mass communication about what was available, you know, how to schedule appointments, et cetera, et cetera, right? Like that made sense. But if you're doing some generic mass wellness email, nobody wants that. Nobody wants a generic mass text, or or at least not very many. It's not very impactful. But if it's a very specific personalized message that's proactive about a wellness visit, about follow-up on some, you know, thing that you needed to do as part of your care, that makes sense. And so I think in that case, they do expect that. In fact, I think many of us would love to have that. Yeah, I, I think I agree. I think people do want some form of proactive communication that's personalized uh, and that way they feel more cared for, right? Like, oh, my doctor thought enough to 
email me to remind me that in my particular situation, I should probably be coming in for X or Y in a month or so, or maybe I want to check out this new device that may be better than the one I'm using. Like, I think those, yeah, I agree. Proactive, love those kinds of, of outreach. Um, you know, where I think though, that maybe we're reaching the peak is I think people are getting annoyed with the nagware style of reminders. Mm. Um, you know, like, yeah, I like I don't mind getting the reminder two days before of my appointment, but do I really need the one the day before and then the one the three hours before and the one the one hour before? Like, <laughs> and then like what if Lord help me if I have like five appointments with the same facility? Because guess what I'm getting? I'm getting five times of those messages because these systems aren't yet smart enough to go, oh, wait a minute, you're coming in for five appointments. I'm going to send you one reminder. No, no, no. You're going to get five reminders. Well, they right? don't trust you, Colin. That's, they, apparently, that's apparently I'm really bad at keeping my appointments. <laughs> but, but I think, so I think we're getting to that stage where there's a sudden realization where we may actually do have too much of a good thing. Right? We're getting too many reminders as a patient. And, and I've just heard stories, horror stories, frankly, from patients who are getting like 10 texts from the same facility in the same day, because, you know, I'm getting a reminder for this, a warning about that, where to park in another one. Do I want to contribute to the foundation while I'm here? And, you know, it just, it, you can go a little of overboard, but I think when it can be personalized and when it's truly valuable to me, then I think people do want that type of communication. Yeah, it's a fascinating question. Is alert fatigue real for patients? And uh, I think as I look at my communication patterns with doctors and, and what they do, I don't really have a relationship with the doctors. So I don't know, it's not overwhelming. But if I was a chronic patient, I'd be like, stop, <laughs> please don't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm living this. So I think that's also where the personalization comes as well, because as someone who's passively involved in their care has a few lingering conditions here or there, uh, the uh, kind of overwhelming reminders, you know, we, we kind of shrug off and move on. We, you know, we need that visit, but if I'm a chronic patient, I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing. I live and breathe and eat and sleep this every day have some respect for me and turn that off. Right. So I think that's a part of the personalization as well is understanding and respecting them. And that's the key for me. Many of the things we're doing don't respect the patient. They're just selfishly looking at what's best for me and my organization. And so I think that's the key, but you know, I, I what is interesting though, is if you aren't sending those reminders, that's missing a big thing too, because we do expect the reminders now. I mean, it's easy enough to do. If you're not doing that, that would be pretty tragic. You know, we're, you know, to kind of riff on what you're saying there, John, I think there are companies that are realizing this, right? Like, I think we're moving away from the batch and blast style uh, communications that, you know, were typified of, of older systems. And we're moving now into ones that are more AI powered, right? that can recognize the pattern of how I communicate with the organization. So, you know, maybe I've never responded via text. So guess what? The system is smart enough to go, maybe I shouldn't text you, right? Like maybe <laughs> I should call you with an automated voice because you seem to respond to phone calls mm -hmm. or maybe I should email you because you seem to open that, right? I actually can see the open rates uh, of, of those co communications. Or I know that, you know, based on what you told me the last time you, you came in for a visit, you work from nine to five. So guess what? I'm not going to text you during that time. I'll text you at six, right? Those little subtle things can make a big, big difference in terms of the interaction that you can have with a patient and whether or not that message actually gets through. So to your point 
uh, personalization just doesn't mean personalizing the content of the message. It, to me, it also means personalizing the way that message is delivered and the modality that you're using to communicate with these patients. That to me is, is definitely something that we need to do more of. Yeah. And there's one thing about reminders, which is great, but if you move beyond that, it goes back to a previous episode. People could check out of the healthcare IT today, but is really around, do we want a relationship with our doctor, with, with that organization, with that clinic? And the answer for many of us is no, we don't. But the answer for some is, yeah, I do. And I want you to show that you care. And I want you to be proactive in my, my, you know, helping me know what the next steps are for me. So I think that needs to evolve as well, which is can't, you know, having those of us that are pretty passive in our care, like me, <laughs> that we actually start caring, right? And, and finding the messages that would make me want to care and, and make me want to take some action on my health. Because right now, if they send it to me, I'm like, mm, what? you know, I find it interesting because this is kind of what I do for a living. But for my own health, I'm like, nah, archive. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what you're saying, John, is in order to get through to you, I will need to put a bunch of chocolate chip cookie emojis in the subject line and text that to you first. And then you'll read whatever I'm sending. You bring up a really good point, right? Any text from Colin, I'm going to read because I care about you and I want a relationship with you, right? If text from my doctor, not so much. Now, if it had a link to free chocolate chip cookies from Mrs. Fields delivered to my house, I would read that. You're right. <laughs> uh, it's always good to know the way to your heart, John. <laughs> so what other areas do you think patient expectations have changed? Yeah, I think this, I love the evolution of the waiting room. Like if the DMV can tell me I'm fifth in line, why can't the medical practice? And the answer is they can. Uh, you know, I think the real problem with this whole episode that we're talking to th about today is patient expectations have changed, but in many cases and in many uh, locations, they have somewhat of a monopoly on care. So they're not forced to change. And so they're going to go away with unsatisfied patients in many regards, if they have that monopoly. Now, there's some areas, you know, in Vegas, it's much more competitive. And so in that case, patients could walk and that could be a problem. So, uh, you know, I, but if as I look at it, you know, like in the waiting room, that experience, knowing where I'm at in line, knowing how long I'm going to wait, or maybe not waiting at all, I think that expectation has changed in a dramatic way. And my question still goes back to, why did I not have to wait for the telehealth visit, but I do the in-person visit? Like this makes no sense to me why one, you could be basically on time and the other, you can't. Like something is wrong there. I think patient expectations have definitely changed in, in two areas. I agree with you totally. I think the waiting room, I would extend that also to the ED mm. um, to say, I think people really want to know before going to an ED, what the wait is, Maybe they want to register, put themselves in line, stay at home, and then go in at the last minute. That's a new thing for EDs, right? So that's sort of that that new check-in process. So I think definitely patients are changing their expectations around EDs even, not just checking mm -hmm. in and not having to wait in a waiting room with other people. Uh -huh. um, I also think from a on the financial side, there's a lot of new expectations now from mm. patients. And, and this has to go with, you know, some of the work with prioritizations that we know is coming down the pipe. But I think also because of patients are shouldering such a bigger burden uh, of the healthcare cost, there's a lot more demand and expectation around 
you need to tell me what this is going to cost me and how much my insurance is going to cover before I even agree to this, before you push me down this road. Or, hey, maybe I, I need to know what this cost of this drug is that you're prescribing for me, and I want to know what alternatives there are. And so to me, there's a big change in expectation on that side of the house, right? I, I know traditionally we've talked about patient engagement and experience kind of on the front side. And so I'll call it the fluffy side, right? And mm-hmm. but now we're getting into some hard, like, like I want all these answers as a patient. And if I don't get them, you know, I'm going to walk away with lowered expectations of your practice. Yeah, that's true. I would add two other patient expectations that are really evolving and have been for a number of years. And one of those is access to information. Mm. So access to my own information, but also uh, you know, access to Google with information about what might be happening or, or those types of things. And so I think there's been a shift in perspective and expectation from patients that I'm not going in there to be told what to do. Instead, I'm going in there to collaborate with you on what the best plan of action is for me. And so, you know, I think it's a very different discussion when you say, hey, we're co-collaborators on this. And sure, as a patient, I need to respect you, the doctor, and understand it. But you shouldn't, you know, and then you as a doctor should also be respectful that, hey, I have knowledge and understanding too, and that I want to understand why you're telling me to do something, you know, and and if you have a great reason, then explain it, right? Or give me information that will help me understand it. I'm not just going in there blind and saying, yeah, whatever you say, doctor, I'll do it, you know? So I think that's a changing expectation as well. Yeah. And I, again, I agree with you. And I think to extend what you're saying, you know, I think there's a growing expectation. It's not there yet, but a growing one around physicians and and, uh, and healthcare organizations taking in patient-generated data, mm. right? Like, like to take my Fitbit data, my sleep patterns, you know, even the diet information from that magic fork that I use, right? Like, yeah, the ECG. I, exactly. Have all of that incorporated into the analysis of my overall health, right? And, and I think that that call will continue to grow. Again, it's not there yet. Yeah, and, I was going to say, it's still early though. That's the, but, we don't have enough good data from our yeah. home devices. But as those devices get more sophisticated and as, and as the applications start to do more analysis and be helpful, I think there's going to be a how much higher demand for this to be included as part of the overall patient record. So I think that demand and that expectation is coming. Yeah, I agree. Hey, thanks to all of you who tuned into this episode of Healthcare IT Today. For more details about our show, check out the programs page on healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your voice and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com and on Twitter using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hong, my friend and health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for listening and have a great week.